Father, we are grateful again uh, for the opportunity to be able to peruse through your word and to be able to glean the truth of, uh, from your word concerning how we live by grace. And we're grateful for that potential that we could have some illumination from the spirit that we might be able to understand these things. In your son's name we pray. Amen. And so the next point that we wanted to see that the aim of grace provides is rest for the people of God. And so to be able to rest. And we were just talking in the break and a lot of people believe that what you have to be doing something. Busy, 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 busy. You have to be working. You got to be doing something. I got to be doing something every minute of the day. I got to do, 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 do. And, you know, it's funny because if you look at the Hebrews chapter 3, he's going to introduce something here concerning rest. And Israel never entered into it. And there's the potential. Paul is talking to, to the believers today. Don't be like Israel. God is providing a rest for the people of God today. And if you enter into this rest, you can see that you can rest from your own labors. From your works. God provided it for Israel and we'll see it. Um, Let's get into the text first and then we'll start um, looking at the words. Look at Hebrews chapter 3 if you would. And so remember, Paul is talking to these Jewish believers who wanted to continue under law and they did not see the that grace was something completely different. And so the whole book here, again, is you can entitle it. We have something better um, as a result of grace. And they didn't want to enter it. And so Paul is sounding a warning to these believers not to do what Israel did. And so notice here in um, verse 1 of chapter 3, Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our profession, Christ Jesus, who, who was faithful to him that appointed him, as also Moses was faithful in all of his house. Mm-hmm. Now this is an interesting thing that you see that Moses was uh, over our household, just as Christ is. For this man was counted worthy of more glory than Moses, so much as he who had built the house has more honor than the house. For every house is built by some man, but he that builds all things is God. And Moses verily was faithful in all of his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which were to be spoken after. But Christ as a son over his own house, whose house are we? If we hold fast to the confidence and the rejoicing of hope firm until the end. Wherefore, as the Holy Spirit said today, if you hear his voice, harden not your hearts as in the the provocation in the day of temptation in the wilderness. When your fathers tempted me. Now see how he's saying your fathers. He's talking to Jewish believers here. Now, my father's. Notice, I only have one father. (laughs) He's talking about the the, the, uh, fathers of the nation. They tempted me, proved me, and saw my works 40 years. Wherefore, I was grieved with this generation and said, They do always err in their hearts and have not known my ways. So I swear in my wrath that they shall not enter into my rest. Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you a evil heart of unbelief and departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily, as it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. And so notice, he talks about the fact that they would not enter into his rest. And so this idea of rest. And so you see, uh, this word for rest is actually used throughout the uh, Old and New Testament. It's used... In the uh, Hebrew, the word Shabbat, uh, and it's used to mean, to, again, to cease from works, to cease from work. And you see it used in the Greek, uh, the word is katapuo, uh, and it means to cause or to cease or to restrain. But notice it's from work or from labor. You're ceasing to work from your labor and so let me give you an um, illustration of this. Um, let's see, let's go here. 
and um, well, let's go back to your outline here. I was looking for the uh, scripture here. Oh, it's in Matthew eleven twenty nine. Is where I wanted to go. There you go. If I just stay with my outline, I'm gonna be fine. <laughs> Matthew eleven twenty nine. And so you, you see an interesting thing with the Lord, and um, you see that the Jewish leaders and um, how they took the law, and their tra- they actually took their traditions. It wasn't just the law. They took their traditions, and they put them in the place of the law, and they were laying burdens upon men to do certain things. And so the people were burdened down as a result of this. And so you see an illustration of this. Notice in Matthew, the ninth chapter, uh, as the Lord comes into Jerusalem, in verse 35, and Jesus went about all the cities of the villages, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom of the heaven, uh, kingdoms, excuse me, gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitude, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then said he unto his disciples, the harvest is truly plentiful, but the laborers are few. Pray therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. Um, And notice in the, the 11th chapter, he says this, come to me all ye that labor and are heavy laden and I will give you Rest, you see. Why? Because the the Jewish rulers, um, they were more concerned about the enforcement of their traditions and their laws that they had come up with and 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 fudged more than they were about the people. A classic example of this is over in the Gospel of John that we saw in John nine, right when the uh, man that is blind from birth is healed. And what did they say? He can't be from God. He did it on the Sabbath day. Right? They're more concerned about their rules than they were people. And so notice this word uh, here that says, come to me all you who labor. It's the word kopas. And it means to have toil which results in weariness. Weariness. I see it a lot with a lot, and I've been in a lot of different ministries over the course of time. Um, I remember when we first moved to Portland, and I've told you we were involved in this gang ministry, and this is what struck me, is that you had a lot of people that were doing things, and they were weary from them. And they were told, we are doing the work of ministry. Twelve on, brother. You'll get yours, and they buy and buy. And I don't know, some of those things might be legitimate. Seems to me some of those things probably weren't. And as I've told you before, don't stand behind me at the beam of judgment because I don't think they were. You might get singed. But God knows, you know. And so this idea of weariness, and it's, uh, it's, a, it's a hindrance to rest. And you see it predominantly when people are doing things in their own strength. They're trying to do it by their power. And so notice in John chapter 4 and verse 6, you see that word used again. John chapter 4 and verse 6. And it's use of the Lord as he was he uh, traveled and had gone into Samaria. And notice verse um, three, he left Judea and departed again into into Galilee. And he must needs go through Samaria. Then comes he to the city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the parcel of ground that Jacob, Jacob gave to his son, Joseph. Now, Joseph well was there and Jesus being wearied. Uh, with his journey, he sat down on the well, and it was about uh, the sixth hour. And so this idea of weariness um, um, that comes in its physical weariness in this instance, 
uh, as a result of a journey. And so this idea that labor, or the word kopas, is the, the toil that results in weariness. And so you're toiling, you're doing work, and you're working to the point that there is weariness that results from it. Um, now, this is actually heavy. There's supposed to be a Y on the end of that, <laughs> not heave, <laughs> laden, heavy laden. And so this idea for heavy laden is actually the word to, for, to be burdened down. The word bur burden is actually the word uh, for tion. And uh, Vines gives it this definition, something that is to be born without reference to its weight. And, uh, and they are a hindrance to rest. And so you're carrying something. You're carrying a burden and it's wearing you down. It is wearing you down. So you, you see this happen with a lot of people outside the church for sure. I mean, I, I see from a lot of unbelievers today that they are just absolutely spent. The weariness, the labor, the burdens that they're carrying from the world is just wearing them down. So here it's in the context of the Jews and what they were putting on these people that were causing them to be weary and burdened. And so they had all of these standards, and a lot of the standards had nothing to do with the law. They had gone past that, right? And so when you get into some of the, the Talmud and all of the things that they had added to the law, they had made up their own standards. And the Lord, it, you notice you see this used in Matthew 23 of the Lord as he castigates the, the Jewish leaders, particularly the scribes and the Pharisees, because they put these burdens on people. And one thing that you see about hypocrites is they tell people to do something that they themselves don't do. They tell other people to do it, but they're not doing it. And so this is the thing that the Lord really strikes out against. And notice in Matthew 23 and verse 4, he uses this word for heavy laden or to, to put burdens and so notice in verse 1, Then spake Jesus to the multitude uh, to his, and to his disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. All therefore uh, whatsoever they bid you observe, and, uh, and that observe and do, but do not after or according to their works. For they say, and they do not. For they bind heavy burdens and grievous to be borne, and they lay them on men's shoulders, and they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. And what are they doing? I mean, it's all for show. It's all for show. And this is what you see happening in the church today. Things that are done, and it's just a show. And I've, I mean, I've, you see it. And it doesn't seem to matter what denomination it is. It doesn't seem to matter uh, what kind of congregation it is. It's across the board. And so notice, just to continue his thought here, but all their works they do for to be seen of men. And notice he tells you how. They make broad their phylacteries. Well, these phylacteries were little boxes that they would put and you can see it with some of the Hasidic Jews over in Jerusalem today they put it on the front of their hats and they would put their prayer requests and such in these boxes and so the bigger the box it made you look like you were really spiritual you see and so you can have the, you you could see some of that kind of stuff in the church today right and so I mean people do that and we have all these different signs of spirituality of what makes you spiritual I mean and it goes across the gamut Right. Well, all of these things, as you see, in a similar way, as it happened to uh, the Jewish leaders did it to uh, the people uh, of that time. It was a similar thing that you could see happening in the church. And what does it do? It compels people to become involved in these things. And they're not resting. They're not resting. I have learned to say to people, well, I'm not led to do that. What's wrong with that? I'm not going to be compelled by somebody to get engaged in something that they're doing. Well, brother, if you're doing it and you feel led to do it, go for it. 
great. But just because you're led to do it don't mean that I'm going to be led to do it and you, I don't need to be forced to do exactly what you're doing, right? And, you know, there, you have that, that happens. And so notice uh, a good example with them, if you go back to that John 9 passage, how they, the, the standard was being able to go to the temple or the synagogue and nobody would say what was true because they didn't want to be put out of the synagogue. Well, why? That was their standard of righteousness. They didn't want to be excommunicated from the synagogue. And you see it with the blind man's parents who refused to say that uh, they knew how this guy was, was healed. And they just passed the buck. He's of, he's of age. Ask him. And you, and you see this. People are just, and you, you can see it from a church point of view as well. And so this idea of labor and burdens and the absence of rest. And so you see Old Testament saints were promised a rest from labor. Uh, Israel was promised that. Many of, uh, among Israel um, rejected God's promise um, of rest in the land. And, and I give you a lot of scriptures that um, deal with this. One of the most prominent places that uh, is talked about, and you can see it in uh, Exodus, the 19th chapter, as the Lord had told them that up to this point that he had done it all. From the time of Abraham to the, uh, even going back to the time that he brought him out of the land of Egypt. He was the one that, that did it. He did it all. All they had to say, and you can see it in Exodus chapter 19, is we will continue to trust that you've done it. He didn't want him to do anything. Just trust that he's the one doing it. But they weren't content with that. There is something insidious in the fallen nature of man that makes him think that his contribution outside of God is of some special benefit. And it's not. And so uh, going back, let's go back over to Hebrews in chapter four of Hebrews. And notice and we'll see it in verse eight. Believers in this dispensation can rest from our labors due to Israel's rejection of rest. Hebrews chapter four and verse eight. Now, notice in chapter four, he says, um, let's start with verse one. Let us therefore fear. And so here you have this um, construction again where Paul is enjoining these Jewish believers to join him in having the same attitude of reverential fear. What is that fear of not entering into this rest? That this is a crucial thing. And so he says, lest they promise being left us of entering into his rest, that any of you should uh, seem to come short of it. For unto us was the gospel preached, or really I would say unto us was a gospel preached, I think if that's, if I'm not mistaken there, a good news, a, a, uh, was a gospel preached, um, as well as unto them. But the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. For we which have believed do enter into rest, as he said, as I have sworn in my wrath, if they shall enter into my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he spake in a certain place of the seventh day of, of, of this wise, God did rest the seventh day from his works. And in this place again, if they shall enter into my rest, seeing therefore it remains that some must enter in therein, and they to whom it was first preached entered not in. And then he's going to tell you why they didn't enter. Because of unbelief. They didn't believe it. So here's, he's contrasting here in this book the benefits that we have as believers versus those that the Old Testament saints had and how inferior they are. They could have actually had a benefit if they would have just trusted what God said. God has said, I can do it. I'm the only one that can do it. Just trust in the provisions that I give you, and I will work my will through you. But what did Israel say? Oh, no. Just tell us what to do, 
and we can do whatever you tell us to do, we can do it. How different is that from today? God has said, here's my position I've given you in Christ. All you have to do is live there, abide in that position, experience my grace, and I'll do it through you. Pretty simple, right? Why is the church not doing it? It's not really even complicated. If they say it's too good to be true, <laughs> from a human point of view, that's true. <laughs> and so he says in verse seven, again, he limits a certain day saying to David today, after so long a time, as he said today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your heart. For if Jesus had given them rest, then would he have not afterward spoken of another day? There remains, therefore, a rest to the people of God. For he that enters into his rest, he also has ceased from his own works. Boy, isn't that pretty simple? Trust the source. <laughs> it's so simple. It's not complicated. All I have to do is just trust God's going to do it. I trust in who he says that I am. I am part of a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. All of these things that he speaks well of me as a result of being in Christ, all I have to do is trust that those things are so. And you know what happens? The Holy Spirit says, I can finally do the work. Have you ever been trying to do a job with someone and you're trying to show them how to do the work and they just keep getting in your way? Finally, you give them some small thing to do (laughs) to distract their attention so that you can actually do the job. Do you know this is what's happening with believers? The Holy Spirit's trying to do the work, but we're so busy trying to do things that we think are better that the Holy Spirit's back there just just waiting. Just waiting. And the believer's just running like the dickens. And just out of breath, in misery. It's all unnecessary. It's all unnecessary. It really is. And so here you see this idea of rest. And so notice uh, believers, uh, we'll look at four, uh, uh, three believers in this dispensation can rest from our labors due to Israel's rejection of rest. And, uh, and so when we believe, begin entering in, uh, he tells those believers uh, in verse 3, at the moment that they believe. And so believers enter into God's arrest and the present tense salvation through an attitude of faith. And we'll come back to this because I think you see you continue to see faith as it, it's related to grace. And we want to look at how the two interact with each other. And we'll see that that's very important. And then we saw that in Christ, grace believers can overcome our spiritual enemies and rest from our spiritual labor. And so there is a rest for the people of God. As the believer lives by grace, Grace, they can enter into that rest and be able to experience that rest. And Paul really pointed that out to the Jewish believers. The last thing that we want to see tonight is that the aim of the grace uh, is the production of good works uh, through the believer. Now, I really think this is an important word, through the believer. Now, when I go out and work at home, out, outside, I have a glove, and that glove only has the power that I give it. I haven't seen the glove get up and start <laughs> pushing the lawnmower. <laughs> Didn't see it do that. Um, I haven't seen the glove get up and till the yard. doesn't have the ability to do it. 
But I believe what you see in the New Testament is that as the believer lives by grace, the Holy Spirit will empower the believer to work through the believer. And so notice uh, no one in this, uh, is saved in this dispensation of grace. And we've seen it because of works. No one is justified by, before God in this dispensation because of works. The word used for works in Scripture is the word ergon, which means those deeds performed in the body. And the grace believer performs good works as part of the Father's plan and purposes. And so we do good works, but notice, I do those good works as I'm living in my position and the Holy Spirit is working through me to do those works. You see, I'm not out looking necessarily on my own to find these works. Now, I think a lot of these works happen as the believer is uh, spiritual, that the Holy Spirit is leading and guiding the believer into doing those things that God wants him to do. And they may be different from what other believers are doing. We in the church, we try to force people into good works that we want them to do to make our church operate. Right. When, in fact, the matter is the believer is led by the Holy Spirit. Now, obviously, there are some responsibilities that we have to each other as a result of being in the body. And as we use our spiritual gift, you'll see that I think God uses some of those as good works. And we'll look at that. But um, then there's other things outside of that. And so notice, uh, let's start with Ephesians chapter two and we'll go from there. Ephesians chapter two. Verse 8, for by grace are you saved. And we've talked about the, I, how that works. Um, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, or I would say from God. Now notice he puts a premium on, not of works. Now I want to just really emphasize this of here. So it says not, so if you have works here, this gift that God gave you, this is not the source of it. It's not out from works. I don't know. I'm just, it's amazing, it's amazing right? When you really think about it, you hear and you've heard people, unsaved people saying, well, I'll give myself over to the Lord, but I just got to get myself right. And you're like, what? Or you even hear believers saying, yeah, I'll, I know that I'm out of fellowship, but I, I'm going to come back once I get myself right. What? It'll never happen. As long as they're saying that, it'll never happen. Because they're believing there's something that they have to do. Or that they're in the position that they're in because they did something. Um. And, you know, that could have been carnal and there could be some things related to that, but it's not a works. It's not something that you're going to do that's going to change this. And so notice it says, by grace you've saved through faith and not of yourselves. It is a gift from God, not out from works, lest any man should boast. And so nobody's going to be able to boast or to be able to say, hey, I know why God got me. Why he he got a good one when he got me. Well, I know why he saved me, because I'm the smartest guy in, in, the, in the group, or I'm the best-looking person, or whatever. Nobody's going to be able to say any of that. Remember, 1 Corinthians 1 is right there in the Bible. And I remind you, not many wise did he call, not many noble. God chose the foolish things of the world, the base things. You ever call yourself base? Ever call yourself foolish? That's not what we would use of ourselves in America today. We've we're, we're, we got a lot more going on than that, right? Well, maybe you, I mean, there are some people that he said that he chose from that. Maybe you guys are the ones. <laughs> maybe, I know I'm not, right? I think I'm one, one of those ones that he got from the bottom of the barrel. And so, but not many, but there are some. So maybe you're in that group. And so notice he says, verse 10. For we are his workmanship, are really the result of his working, or his making, created 
Now, why does he say created? I would put this back with 2 Corinthians 5.17. That we're part of a new creation, a new man. Something that didn't exist before, right? Created where? In Christ Jesus. And I would say here, because of good works. And so the purpose of why we were created was to do good works. But notice, he's going to qualify these good works. Which God had before ordained. In other words, that were ordained, he had prepared or appointed them beforehand. All the mystery is taken out of it. The only mystery is whether you're going to be led by the Spirit to do them. Which he had prepared beforehand, or ordained beforehand, that we should walk. That word, that is a purpose. Why did he prepare these works beforehand? That we should walk, and that we might walk in them. And so here, this is the possibility that we might do it. He's not going to make us do it. He's not. I wonder, what is it going to be like at the Bema Seat Judgment? I don't think it's going to be a purgatory where people are going to be crying, but I often wonder what is going to be my reaction when I see what God had prepared, and will we even see that? Maybe it might be too much, and he won't show us. <laughs> will we even see what the potential was versus what I actually allowed the Holy Spirit to do. Will we see it? I hope not. <laughs> but, you know, in your, your regenerated state then, I mean, uh, with, your, with your new mind and, 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 and the change in body and soul, you might see it. You probably will see it differently. You'll say, oh, yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right, Lord. I really messed that up. Look at the potential that was there. And look at how little I accomplished. Think about it. There's a lot of believers who are doing a lot of work today, and they think that they're doing what God wants them to do. I don't know. God knows. How much of it is what God wants? How much of it is what I just decided to do? You know, we had an old saying about people who became preachers uh, back in the day. And we would, it would went some, something like this. Some were sent. I mean, some, some were sent. Uh, some, were, some went. Some were sent. No, how did it go? Some were sent. Some uh, uh, went. And some just, oh, I can't remember. I'm messing it up. Oh, oh, that's it. Some were called. My wife helps me here. Some were called. Some were went. <laughs> I've been driving all day. Some were called. Some were sent. Some just got up and went. <laughs> okay, I got it. And that's kind of, that's, and that's what happens with a lot of believers. You know, you, you see a lot of people in the pulpit who have, they have no business being anywhere close to the pulpit. None. And they just decided that this is what they were going to do because it, they felt good about it. I had a guy tell me one time, hey, I know what I've, God called me to preach. I got a lot of things to say. I just got to find a scripture for it. <laughs> <laughs> and you have that. You have a lot of people who are doing things that they have decided that they're going to do. Totally different from what God has orchestrated. He has good works that he's already got laid out for my life from the time before, back in eternity past, he knew what these works were going to be. The question is, am I going to align myself in my new position and live in such a way that I allow the Holy Spirit to direct me to accomplish those works that God wants me to accomplish? Or am I going to be focused on trying to do what I think God wants? And we've seen this story before with um, Cain and Abel, right? Isn't that what happened with Cain? Oh, no, I'm, I wouldn't put myself with Cain and Abel, but that man was evil. Well, isn't that what Cain did? He did what he thought God wanted him to do, not in fact what God desired for him to do. 
Now, I'm not saying that you're Cain if you're doing that. <laughs> Hopefully you're not. Hopefully I'm not. <laughs> but, I mean, the point is taken, that there is this independency to do what we believe makes God happy, not what actually makes God happy. And so you have that with the, uh, the good works. And so uh, they were ordained that we should walk in them. And so um, here you see with these works, I just want to look at a few things here before we. um. Now, I believe these works are, uh, you see, and we've talked about this before, that there are two of the um, elements of them or the characterization of these works as they relate to the the good works are um, characterized by two words, agathos and kalos. And so you have agathos is a word that is used, and it's derived from um, inward goodness. It's inward goodness. Now, I believe that this is describing the attitude or the motivation for why you're doing these works. Because there's an inward goodness in which the believer, when he's spiritual, now, I, so here this word that is used here, and actually it's 10, it's the word for good is actually the word agathos, works. So when the believer is working those works that God wants you to do, they're going to be, we know that they're Holy Spirit driven because this is in play. You're doing that which is beneficial and that which causes happiness. And it's a result of the fact that you're being led by the Spirit to do it. You could not do these kind of works if you were doing them on your own. It's impossible. And that's why I think what you have in 2 Corinthians 5, where it says that when you get to the Bema Seat Judgment, that he's going to weigh those works, whether they be good. It actually uses the word agathos. Now, why does he not use kalos there? Because I think agathos is the, is the inward motivation for these works. I think when people see these works on the outside, this is what they see. You can't see someone's motivation for why they're doing what they're doing. I mean, I don't know why. You don't know why I'm sitting here preaching. I'm just, I may be preaching because, you know, what, for whatever number of reasons, you know, that I'm doing it. Don't say anything, Scott. <laughs> I could be a number of reasons why I'm doing this. But what you can see, notice Kalos, and you see throughout the New Testament that this is something that is seen on the outside that people can see with their eyes. Right? They're seeing the results of it. Uh, and so one of the best places is a good illustration of seeing this. Notice in Matthew 5, um, because, you know, I, I like to tie it in with the, the sight words and how it is that people can see these kind of works. And mostly you see with kalos, it's used with sight words that people are looking at it. They're seeing it. They can see it with their eyes. And so an illustration is in uh, Matthew 5, 5 and verse 16 that Israel was told to do works and the result was on the outside that people could see the results of those works. Now notice in verse 16, let your light so shine before men that they may see. See that word see is the word orao. They could actually look at these works with intentness and gaze and they are gaining some understanding of what they're seeing in these works. That they may see your good works, and notice the word good is there is kalos, and the result of it is what? They would glorify your Father, which is in heaven. So I believe that the works that God has for us to do, they're not works that we want to do. I mean, you, you've seen this with a lot of people. They have, you ever had somebody to help you with something again? And they have their own idea, and they come and try to tell you? Well, this is the way you ought to do it. Wait a minute. I just asked you to help. I didn't ask you to come take over. Can I just get your help? Just get your help. Can you imagine that this is what we're doing sometime with God? God's got his plan laid out and we're, wait a minute, God, this is how you ought to do it. It's the craziest thing, right? 
we don't even have the hindsight of eternity. We don't know all of the wherefores of why, why comes. We don't have all of what's going to happen tomorrow, what happened yesterday. We don't know what God is doing and how we fit into it, but we know what we should be doing. <laughs> we try to tell him. It's the craziest thing. But you have these good works. And so notice, uh, there are, at the top of the page of 21, there are different uh, types of works that are identified in the New Testament as provided by God. And so you have the, the works that are provided under law. Um, and so there were works uh, which God ordained. And then we see that man tries to appease God on the basis of his own works. And God reje rejects these works for salvation. We saw it in, in Ephesians 2 and we see it again in Titus 3.5. God rejects works originating from man. And so we've seen in um, Romans 9 what that grace is not out from works. And we've seen that on several occasions. The works of the grace believer authenticates the works wrought by God. And so God prepared these works for the grace believer for this purpose. And so here you see, and I just wanted to break it down for you. Uh, God prepared these works for the grace believer. Now, I can, you can see these works in different things that are going on in, uh, throughout the New Testament. Uh, you can see them used with spiritual gifts. You can see them used with hospitality shown to other believers. You can see them used with interaction to all men and interaction with other believers uh, and ministry that is generated by the believer in Ephesians 4.12 and the works that are prepared by God and as a believer lives in these works, I think they fulfill what James talks about, that men are able to see on the outside those works. And they really validate the fact that you are saved. To men, not to God. Men see it, right? And so you can see believers today that are not doing any good works, but it doesn't mean that they're, they're not saved. Look at... Uh, First Timothy chapter three. We want to just kind of go down through here before we close out. First Timothy chapter three and verse one. And so you can see spiritual gifts are part of those good works. Now, this was a good work. That I, I, I knew from an early age that my gift was pastor teacher and God wanted me to be a pastor teacher. I just didn't want to do it. I was carnal. I just determined I wasn't going to do it. I went on about my business trying to do other things. I did not want to do this gift. But God showed me and was very compelling that this was the right thing to do. And so he was very persuasive. Notice in verse 1 and 2 of First Timothy chapter 3. This is a true saying. If a man desires the office of a bishop, again, this is the technical word for the office of pastor teacher, though please do not call me that. Uh, but... <laughs> I guess you would. If you did, it would be spirit. It would be technically correct, scripturally correct. If he desires the office of a bishop, he desires a good work. And so notice um, here you have Kalos. And I believe here it's used as the thing that, again, someone could see from the outside. And then he goes in to give any qualifications of a bishop. And so this idea of a good work, and I believe it's the work that the believer is able to do, but uh, it's, um, it can be, it's one that is seen as being good. Then you have it, uh, you have Kalos and Agathos are actually used in 1 Timothy chapter 5 of this uh, widow. 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 9. You can see both of them in verse 10, so that they're not the same. Um, but I think that they, one deals with the, what you see. The other one, I believe, as you see it in context, deals with the motivation behind it. Verse 9, let a widow be taken into the number under three score years. Excuse me, let not a widow be taken into the number under three score years, having been the wife of one man. Well reported of for good works. Now, here you have Kalos. Now, I believe that one of the qualifications for a widow in the early church was that people would see, they could know, hey, yeah, she qualifies. This woman did these things. I saw her doing them. And so he gives the um, qualifications here. 
since she has brought up children, since she has lodged strangers, since she has washed the saints' feet, since she has relieved the afflicted. Now, I believe all of these are first class conditions here. Since she has diligently followed every good work. Now, the second good work there is actually the word agathos. And I believe that these works are ones that, that are beneficial. And I believe that she was led by the Holy Spirit to do these works. So you see how that works? No pun intended. <laughs> and so you can see how good works this woman, as she's led by the Holy Spirit, with regard to saints, look at how she operated. But we know that the Holy Spirit was the one involved here in guiding her to do these works. And it was a reflection of that. Uh, another place you can see it. Now notice with, with regard to unsaved men. Now you can do good works in front of unsaved men. And I believe God will uh, at times lead you to, to do some of these works before unsaved men. Verse 1 of Titus chapter 3. Put them in mind to be subject to principalities and powers and to obey magistrates to be ready to every good work, to be prepared for every good work. Now, I, you could see in the context that he's talking about in the marketplace that there's the opportunity to do good works that God's going to lead you to do before unsaved men. Now, notice in the context here what happens. To speak evil of no man, to be no brawlers, but to be gentle, showing all meekness unto all men. Now, wouldn't that be impressive to unsaved people, particularly today, where you have people who like to jabber and yap about this, that, and the other, right? And the, you see that the unsaved is just sitting there watching you, and they think, man, man that fellow's different. They see something about you on the outside. And you can see that here in the context he's talking. Now, here, in honesty, uh, excuse me, in, in actuality, this word for good here is the word agathos. And I think it, it's looking at the believer's motivation of how he's conducting himself in this arena. And notice why he says that the believer ought to have this mindset among the unsaved. Verse 3. For we ourselves were also sometimes foolish. Now the word foolish, and this comes to mind as you think about it, unbelievers, a lot of unbelievers, it's the word anoitoi, unthinking ones. In fact, I was just saying that today. These people don't think. <laughs> they don't. And you say, these, these people call themselves intelligent, and they're not intelligent. A lot of the things that they say and do, or some of them are just, you just think they're irrational. But you know what Paul says? Remind the believers there at Crete, we were just like them. We used to do exactly what they were doing. <laughs> and so he says, we were sometimes foolish, <clears throat> disobedient, deceived. That word deceived is uh, actually the word planao, being made to wander, which is what Satan does. You see that in, in Revelation chapter 12. He's deceiving the whole world and he's causing the whole world to wander like planets. They're just, just aimless. There's no point to what they're doing. They're just wandering. Serving divers, or the word divers is various lust. Serving as a slave, various lust. She says we were just like that. And pleasures. And that word for pleasures is the word hatonus. And it actually has the idea of uh, when you are actually living for pleasure. And you can see this with a lot of unsaved people. They can't really think about doing anything constructive. All they're living for is what brings them pleasure. And you see that with a lot of people today. You start talking to them about thinking on a constructive level or thinking about something that really matters. Can't do it. Talk to them about doing something pleasurable. Oh, yeah, when, when are you going to do it? And they'll do it for hours. I, I was listening to this one guy, <clears throat> and they were talking about the video games, you know, and how you can get people on video games, and they can play those games for what? 
hours on the end. But try to get one of those people to think about something that is rational. Can't do it. They have no desire to do it. And so notice, <clears throat> um, living in malice, <clears throat> that word malice is actually, is living in, uh, is the word kakos. Uh, excuse me, I'm sorry. Living in uh, envy. That word malice is envy. Oh, I'm sorry. Is this kakos? Living in kakos, which is uh, evil that's lacking in character, and you're singularly lacking in character. You're not trying to get anybody else to go along with you, but it's, you're just doing evil for yourself. And malice, it is malice, uh, excuse me, uh, envy is the word for envy, actually. And uh, having an envy of somebody else that has something that you uh, are envious that they have it and you don't have it. Uh, hateful and hating one another. And the word messias is and they're silently hating one another of the same kind. They're like crabs in a pot just pulling, each other, pulling at each other, just fighting at each other, right? And this pauses. We were just like them. Remind the believers in Crete, this is exactly what we were like. And that we should be ready to, are prepared here, actually we're ready to do every good work. So you see it even among the unsaved. You can see it also in interaction with, uh, with uh, other believers. And so we do good works for sure. But those good works are the ones that God provides for us to do. We're not willy-nilly just going around and saying, well, I think this will be a good thing to do for God. Or I think that this, was, this will be something that, well, if you're led to do it, I mean, I don't know. Only you know. Nobody can say that. Only you know whether you're led to do it or not. Nobody else knows. Well, if you said something really crazy, like, you know, maybe we might be able to have some discernment in it. But, but only you know whether or not you're being led by the Spirit to do that. And so that's the thing that's important, that you are living in such a way as to be led by the Spirit to do what God leads you to do. And it's going to be in accordance with those good works that God has um, ordained in eternity past that we should walk in those works.